the story, the old story goes like this, that uh, there was an elderly couple that lived together. They were actually married uh, over 60 years together, but to say they had 60 years of wedded bliss would be a gross misstatement. <laughs> they actually fought constantly. Well, if you know anyone like this, but their marriage is filled with constant arguments, constant disagreements, shouting contests. Fact, when they moved into a nursing home, the fights didn't stop. They continued to squabble. From morning to night, they would fight. In fact, it got to the point that it was so bad that the nursing home staff threatened them that if this doesn't change, we're going to have to ask you to leave. You guys are causing too much of a disturbance. And then they couldn't even agree on what to do then. Finally, the wife said to her husband, I tell you what, Joe, here's what we'll do. Let's pray that one of us dies. And then after the funeral, I'll go live with my sister. <laughs> Fighting in marriage, fighting between people, it happens. It happens in marriage. When two people get married, or are going to get married, and I sit and talk with them, they look forward to a lot of things. They look forward to vacations together, and living together, and sharing life together, and sharing joys. I've never sat down with a couple that said, we just can't wait to have some of the big fights that we're going to have. We just can't wait to get into big blowouts over little incidental things that aren't that important. And yet, those of us who have been married know that sometimes those days come. You have fights and arguments. Even good church-going Christian men and women have fights and arguments at times. It's not just in marriages. It happens to all of us, people in general, that even good church-going people find themselves maybe fighting with others at times, arguing with others. Have you ever found yourself walking away from an argument with someone and thought to yourself, where did that come from? Not about the other person, but about the tone of the words that you used. You had no intention of going into that encounter and walking away having had the fight or the argument that you just had with that person. In fact, sometimes, maybe you're like me, and you walk away going, I don't even know if I believe what I just argued for. But I was so passionate about it, and they were so passionate about their end, and we ended up fighting and arguing about it, and finally we're watching verbal missiles at each other. We end up fighting and arguing. Where does that come from? Among people who come and worship God, sit in church on a regular basis, listen to God's word, and yet still at times fight and argue, where does that come from? Well, the passage we're going to look at this morning has something to say about just that issue. Where does it come from? Where do the fights among us come from? If you have your Bible, I invite you to open it to James chapter 4. If you don't have one, there's one in the chair around you, or you can click over on your phone, or I've got the words on the screen this morning to be able to follow along. But in James chapter 4, I want to talk about this topic this morning, this, this idea this morning of 
why is it? Where do these fighting and arguing sometimes come about in our lives? Some of you, some of you married people already had a fight this morning. No. Or you just continued one that you had going last night. Some of you already had a text battle this morning with somebody. And where does it come from? Where does it come from? We come and we sing about God's love and God's grace. And yet find ourselves fighting and arguing at times. This morning in James chapter 4, James is going to show us, and we're going to look at four things about fighting. One is this, where do these fights come from? Secondly, where do they lead? Third, what is the hope for the fights in our past? What's the hope for that blow-up you had yesterday? What's the hope? Where's the hope in that? And finally, what help is there? to avoid these fights in the future. James chapter 4, I'm going to start by reading verses 1 through 3. Where do these fights come from? Here's what James says. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? That's a good question. And remember, James is writing in the Bible in this place, is speaking to Christians, people who attend church, people who know Jesus. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. First question is, why do we fight and quarrel with people whom we don't want to and even know that we should not be fighting and quarreling with? Here's James's answer. James says, your external fighting is a result of an internal battle. Your external fighting that you see is a result of an internal battle that's going on in you. The fight you see is simply a result of the fight you cannot see. The arguing that is visible is simply a manifestation of an invisible struggle. It's, it's a war. James said there's a war going on that you don't see. It's inside of you. It's invisible. But it has an impact on you nonetheless. I didn't live through World War II, uh, but I'm told, as I read through it, that the war that was going on across the ocean had an impact on people here, even though they couldn't see it. Certain things were rationed. There was a scarcity of things. There were things you were asked to do in order to support the war effort. Uh, people planted victory gardens to help with, with food production and things in order to be supportive. And the war that you could not see was still having effect on your life that you could see. And I think James is saying the same thing with this idea of fighting. The quarreling you see with someone is really a result of a war that's going on inside of you that you can't see. James is writing to Christian church people, as I said, and these church people are fighting and arguing to the point that he says you're murdering each other. He doesn't mean probably literally killing each other. That would be a whole other message. What he means is your words are so vicious, you're verbally killing each other. 
It's just like last week and the pastor looked at me. James says, with the same tongue, you're blessing God, coming to church and saying, praise God, no, well, look at what God has done. And then you go out and you curse people made in God's image. You're murdering them. And he says, the reason you do this is because of the internal struggle. You want something you don't have and can't get. You have an unfulfilled and unmet desire, and the person in front of you is standing in the way of it, so you get violent with your words and your actions. I want something, you're standing in my way, and so we get violent in our words. I want to get home and these other drivers are stopping me. And so you start muddling things under your breath, yell at them, whatever. But it gets angry. I want to make my own decisions and my spouse is stopping me. I want to watch the game and these kids are in the way. I want something and it's unfulfilled expectation. I want to buy a boat, but my family wants to eat and live indoors. <laughs> I want a new iPhone, but my parents tell me to save money and tell Nathan to tithe. Good for you. <laughs> I want that next position at work, but my coworker might get it. We do end up doing things, saying things that we might not want to say and do, getting in fights and arguments that we might not normally because we want something and we can't get it. Unmet desires within me result in fighting the people around me, even getting violent with my words. And this isn't, uh, you know, you want to watch the game. Hey, kids, you know, um, you know, I'd really like to watch the game, and you guys are kind of playing here. Could you possibly take this in the other room and, you know, do that over there for a little while, and then I'll join you, and we'll play this game together, and, and, and this will work out great. No, this is, I want something, and it goes more like this. Why can't you kids do anything, rats? You're always messing up my plans. I don't even know why we had kids in the first place. It was your mother's idea. <laughs> Now get out of my face so I can watch the game. We want something, unmet expectation, and we end up, what James says, you end up fighting, getting violent with your words. He says, you're not supposed to do this. We know we're not supposed to do this. We know this isn't the life. In fact, afterwards, we often wonder, where did that come from? James says, where it came from you had a desire for something, something got in your way, and so you expressed to try to get that thing out of your way. Happens in families, happens in churches. Tom Rainer in his book, Autopsy of a Dying Church, gives some examples of churches. He said, one church ended over the purchase of a new pulpit. Members argued over it so much that the church actually ended over it. Another church died over the decorating of a parlor room that they argued over. Another split when one family paid for the redecoration of a meeting room and then changed the locks and unilaterally decided who could use it and when. Happens in churches. I want something, you're getting in my way, and so we fight about it. So James says there's a simple solution for the Christian. If you want something, just ask God for it. This is that you can pray, you can ask God for it. If you want something, just ask God for it. And then he anticipates their response. They say, we did ask God, and we still didn't get it. And James says, 
because you ask wrongly, so that you can spend it on your own passions. And here's really the crux of the matter. Because he says it in the beginning that you desire, that your passions are at war within you. And then he says it again that you ask wrongly because you want to spend it on your own passions. And that word passions is the Greek word hedone, where we get our word hedonism from. And what he's basically saying is the reason you're not getting what you want is because you're just trying to pursue your own pleasures and they are guiding you and they have become a god to you in your life, getting what you want and anything that gets in your way, be it another human or even God, you get angry at because you are so intent on pursuing your own pleasures. And it's true that apart from God, we are all guided by what it is that would give us the most pleasure and the least amount of pain. Blaise Pascal recognized this. He said this, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the very motive of every action, of every man, even of those who hang themselves. Pursuing happiness. And apart from God, I think guiding us and becoming the object of our desire that we all operate in that way. And James is saying that's the way you're operating. The problem is that you have these desires, this personal pleasure you want, and anything that gets in your way, you're willing to put aside, get violent in your words towards. The good parent, however, does not give their child everything they ask for, not because of a lack of love, but because of it, because of love. But where does it lead? This fighting, this arguing, where does it lead to? James continues, let's pick it up in verse four. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scriptures say, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. The external fight, which is a result of internal battles, out of not getting something we want and wanting things for the wrong reason, lead us to being friends with the world and enemies of God. The truth is, that first point, that first answer, that your fighting comes about, because of unmet desires. Any psychologist or counselor could tell you that. Any friend could give you that advice. Say, you know what your problem is? You want something and you're not getting it and you're getting upset about it. You know, any parents could probably tell you that. You know, we say to our kids, you know, they start arguing, why didn't I get, that's not fair. And what do we say? We say, you get what you get, you don't get upset. And anyone can tell you, look, the reason you're upset is because you're not getting what you want. But it's this second point that the psychologist, the counselor, even the friend might not tell you, and that's where it leads. And what James says is if you don't do something about it, if you keep going down this road of going after your own 
personal pleasures at the expense of people around you, it will make you an enemy of God. It will put you at odds with God. Because you will be pursuing your own desires and not his. You become a friend of the world and an enemy of God. And you say, well, that doesn't sound right. I want to be a friend of God and a friend of the world. But there are many instances where that, what the world says and what God says are in opposite extremes. You can't accept both at the same time. You must choose. The world says happiness is found here in this world. God says true happiness is found in him alone. The world says and understands how things like money and sex should work. But God gives us a different perspective on those things. The world says death is the end. God says it's the beginning. We like to think we can do both. Have one foot following God and one foot dipped in the things of this world. But James says we must choose. This duplicity is the source of the negative external actions we experience. James is pointing to the reality that we are innately selfish beings who want what we want and get angry and frustrated when people and God get in the way. So if we embrace the world's desires and the world's ways of getting what we desire, he says we make ourselves a friend of the world and an enemy of God. And he says, likens it to adultery. He says, here's what it's like. You want to be married to God and fool around with the world. That's what you're living like. You want to be have the benefits of being in a covenant, committed relationship with God, but then you want to do whatever you want to do as well. You got to choose. And that's why you have this internal battle that's going on within you. A good example of this having to choose uh, was one day uh, Michael Jordan, uh, probably one of the most passionate athletes maybe to ever play a sport, he was passionate about everything in his life. And in his book, Driven from Within, he tells Fred Whitfield, uh, chief operating officer of then NBA Charlotte Bobcats, tells a story about his interaction with Jordan. And one evening when Jordan was over Fred Whitfield's house, he asked, Jordan asked Fred if he could borrow a jacket. And he said, sure. So he went into Fred's closet to get the jacket. When he went into his closet, he saw that Fred had, he had Nike uh, jackets and clothes, and then he had Puma products as well. The Nike outfits had been given to him, to Whitfield, because of the relationship with Jordan, who had a lucrative contract with the company. The Puma outfits had been given to Whitfield because of his relationship with ex-basketball player and Puma representative, well, Ralph Sampson. And here's what happened. Whitfield recalls, Jordan walked into the living room, laid all the Puma gear on the floor, then went into the kitchen and got a butcher knife. When Jordan returned to the living room, he proceeded to cut all the Puma clothes into shreds. He then picked up the scraps, carried everything to the dumpster, and when Jordan came back inside, he turned to Fred and said, don't ever let me see you in anything other than Nike. You can't ride the fence. I don't know if anyone's ever done that to you. And that's pretty extreme. But actually, it's not that extreme in the sense of what we're talking about. A lot of us try to ride the fence. A lot of have 
Friendship with God and friendship with the world. A lot of us need someone to come in our house and say, you know what? Let's take all this stuff and let's get rid of it because you can't ride the fence. And you're wondering about what's causing all the fighting and arguing and where does this come from? And Jesse, here's where it comes from. You're, you're worshiping these pleasures of this world. You're going after them with everything you have and you're trying to follow God and they're coming into conflict and causing this controversy within you and it comes out in fighting and arguing. Here's your problem. You're going after this. And someone gets in your way and you fight and you argue with them. And James says, you know where it's going to leave you? It's going to leave you as a friend of the world and an enemy of God. God will give you over to what you want. If you really want to be friends with the world, if you really want to go after the things of this world, God will allow you to do that. Put you into that place. So where's the hope for us? Because if you're following along, that leaves us in kind of a dismal place. Because I've had fights, you've had fights. I've had things come out of me that I wish they hadn't. And if that puts me in a position where I'm an enemy of God, then I'm sunk. And what hope do I have? What hope is there for me out of this? Because I'm afraid I'm probably going to do it again. And I'm probably going to go after desires that I shouldn't. And what hope is there for me? Well, let's look back at James as we continue. Pick it up in verse 6. James chapter 4, verse 6, says these words. But he gives more grace. Those are the next five words. But he gives more grace. Another translation, instead of using the pronoun, just says, but God gives more grace. I can't fix Myself and bring myself up. But God gives more grace. He's not excusing my actions. It's not letting no one hear what I'm not saying. But He gives grace. He gives grace for my forgiveness. He gives grace to repair relationships. He gives grace to move on from that place. But He gives more grace. But God, the truth is that all of us are stuck in our place of sin. All of us are stuck in our place of hopelessness if it's not for those two words. But God, that all of us are stuck with no place to go. All of us cannot make our way out. But God gives more grace. But God extends grace to you. But God offers you a second chance. But God offers you forgiveness and grace and the internal battle that wages within you. God says there is hope. There is hope, not in your own strength, but there is hope in the grace that God extends to you. There's hope in this. And you say, well, but how does that grace work? Because uh, is it just I just wait and receive it? Because uh, I how do I how does that grace work in my life? What help is there 
in the future fights? What practical application is there? Okay, great. That's a good answer. It's help. You know, it, it's encouraging. It sounds good. It feels good. But how's it work? Well, James gets very practical, very quick. Gives a number of imperatives. Pick it up in verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then listen to these imperatives. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Here's James' solution. Like I said, the psychologist may come to you and say, yeah, the problem's your desires. So you have to go after and get your desires or find a different way to get your desires. Uh, the, another religion, the Buddhist, might come to you and say, well, you just need to rid yourself of desire, and that will solve your problem. But God's solution is neither. It's not to go after your desires that are wrong. It's not to rid yourself completely of your desires. It's to get your desires in line with God's desires. It's to humble yourself. Humble yourself. What does it look like to humble yourself? Well, he makes it very clear. You submit to God. You resist the ways of the devil. You draw close to God. You confess your sin. Change your ways. It says cleanse your hands. And then we change our ways. Cleanse our hands. There's works that I have done that I need to turn away from. Purify my heart. And he says, you double-minded. Right? Because he says, you can't do it. You can't go after God and after the world. So purify your hearts and make God the object that you're going after. You can't be double-minded. can't go both ways. Purify your hearts. Double-minded. He says this part about mourning and let your laughter return. What he's saying is, look, there's, there's confession that needs to be made. You confess. Get right with God. Humble yourself. Then the promise, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. In other words, the way I take that is when you will humble yourself in God, you actually will get what you were looking for in the first place. And Jesus said it this way, I want to find your life, you're going to have to lose it for God. And when you lose it, when you give it to him, you're going to find what you were looking for all along. You're in pursuit of this pleasure. Oh God, you're in pursuit of these, these things in your life. But God is saying, if you will humble yourself, and if you will give yourself over to me, who created you, who created you with desire, who created you with the ability to experience pleasure, who created you with all these things, if you will trust yourself to me and lose your life to me and submit yourself and draw close to me, you'll find what you are looking for all along. 
But you gotta trust him. And you can't keep your feet on both sides of the fence. You gotta go after him. So this morning, how do we stop? What help is there in the place of these fights? What help is there in the place of these arguments that we have? The help is this, to make God the object of your desire. Make God the object of your desire. And when I pursue him, when I submit to him, when I draw close to him, he draws close to me. He forgives me, gives grace to me. And that allows me to not only pursue the will of God, but also pursue it in the ways of God. And that's where we often miss it, right? I'm going after this thing. Yeah, but are you going after it in the way God wants you to go after it? I need not only the will of God, I need the ways of God in my life. And for that, I've got to be close to God. Submit myself to him. Draw near to him. So we close. Uh, let me give you a quote by, I think he was in the 16th century, Richard Baxter, pastor. He said this, Lord, what thou wilt, where thou wilt, and when thou wilt, was the prayer that he prayed. And if we can come to the place where we will submit to God, and God say, God, Whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want, then I don't have an internal battle within me. Then my desires are given over to God. So I walk through life, and I live, and I go after what God wants from me, and I say, God, your will be done. Your will be done in my life on earth as it is in heaven. I don't need to fight and argue and destroy someone verbally to get what I want because, Lord, my trust is in you. I'm submitted to your will. Whatever you have for me, I trust you. And I ask our worship team to come. And we're going to take time just to respond to God's word this morning. And as they come, I'm just going to ask you to take a moment to close your eyes, bow your heads, and here's the reason. Just I want to give you some sacred space to consider what has been spoken. I want to give you a little time without looking around, without worrying about who else is around, who else is looking, what else is going on. This is about you and God. To just have a little sacred space to think about and consider the word of God that has been spoken and shared this morning. But where are you with this? Where are you with the internal battle that goes on within all of us? What do you have to do today? What's God calling you to in response? And I believe that God's Holy Spirit is already at work in each of our lives. And God is already calling you. And God is already working on your heart. And there's something that's been spoken that the Holy Spirit has already highlighted for you this morning. And you just need to follow up on that action that he's calling you to. Maybe God's saying, you know what? When he talked about that submitting, that's you. You haven't been submitted to me. You haven't been submitting to me. Or maybe God this morning is highlighted to you and said, we talked about you know being double-minded and having your foot in both the world and trying to follow me. That's you. You've been trying to do both. 
You've been trying to do both, and then you've been praying and asking and wondering why you're not getting and getting responses to your prayer. And the reason is because you're not asking for the right reason. You're not asking in the right way. You're trying to do both. This morning, God's saying you can't do it. This morning, God's calling you to follow him with a whole and single heart. Maybe God's saying, that one, when he said, draw near to me, that's you. You need this morning to press into God's presence and to draw near and take hold of the promise that God said, when you do it, I will draw closer to you. When you draw closer to me, God says, I will draw closer to you. Or maybe you're here and you need to just, that part that says about confession, that you're laughing to turn to more, that you need to confess something in your life that has been held in higher esteem than God, that you need to come and say, you know what, the reason I've had this eternal struggle is because I've allowed something in my life to be more important than God in my life. And I need to confess that. And I need to turn away from that. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. And as the worship team's going to lead us, we're going to just have a few minutes to pray and respond to God's word. And if you... Uh, these altars are open. It's a place to come and draw close to God. And you can come and kneel and pray, and someone will come and lay a hand on your shoulder and pray with you. But maybe you need to do that. Or maybe this morning it's, it's just the very beginning of the message. You had a fight this morning. Or you've got an ongoing fight that you've been involved in. And you've got to say, God, I need to give this over to you. I need to ask your forgiveness. And I need you to help me to walk in a godly way in my words and my actions in relation to this person. And so as the worship team sings, come and draw close to God. Press into his presence, however he's leading you. Father, lead us today by your Holy Spirit. God, don't let us leave this room the same way we came in. Lord, may we encounter the presence of the living God this morning. And may we be changed because of it, Lord. God, soften our hearts. Soften our hearts. I pray for men and women in this room right now, Lord, who God may have hardened their hearts towards you, may have given up and said there's never going to be a change in my life. I pray this morning would be the but God moment, Lord. God, that maybe in our own strength, maybe in our own ability, we never would be able to change, but God gives more grace. I pray this morning we would be a people who would encounter that grace of God. Lead us this morning.